continue uh, going through Romans. Uh, we're going in Romans chapter three. So uh, Romans is it is such a a challenging book in many ways because Paul just kind of writes. He goes all over the place, and and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, but uh, but it's a it's a very important book for us to to look at and to make sure that we are. Uh, a, trying to understand the basic principles that Paul is laying out. Now, one thing that you're going to see here is, as I was reading through chapter three, um, it has a, a powerful uh, verse, Romans three twenty three says, uh, um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? That's, that's the main verse of Romans uh, chapter, uh, chapter three. Um, but, Paul is clearly dealing with a lot before he gets to that point, right? He's, he's saying all kinds of things. And, and I, I feel like he's, he's trying to be really nice in the way that he is addressing probably some really stupid arguments that are going on. Now, anyone familiar with stupid arguments? Yeah. In fact, if you're honest, 98% of the arguments we have are probably stupid, right? Like, and, you know, silly examples. And, and uh, you know, as a, as a husband and wife, there's all kinds of things you have to navigate, right? What do you do with the toilet seat? Is there a solution to this? Is it down? Is it up? Is it, what is it? You know, and, and of course, as a husband, I, the answer is down. It, that is the answer, right? But then it's like, but that's not fair. Why do I have to take an extra motion before I go to the restroom and you don't? And so then you can uh, come, come together and say, well, we're just going to close the whole thing every time. So everyone has extra energy that they have to expend before they go to the restroom. Right? So now we can get into arguments about that. That's a really stupid argument, right? <laughs> but, you know, but discussions that need to happen because because if you're not on the same page, bad things can happen. Yes. Yes. There can there can be language that flows from the, the <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> it can be interesting. But no, so many arguments, they they we need to have the discussion, but then they turn into way more than they have to be. Right. And, and I feel like Paul is dealing with some things, and you can kind of tell he's tired of some of these arguments. And these are the ar- same arguments that we have today. So what he's been doing in the first uh, couple chapters already, and uh, especially in chapter 2, is he's dealing with the Jew and the Gentile, right? So, so you have the Jewish uh, people and the people who were, uh, came from, from that line now being merged with Gentiles, and they all believe in Jesus, but they're, they're different, right? And, and it's like, okay, how do we do that? So Paul is, is going painstakingly saying, okay, we're all the same, right? God sees us all the same. Um, and in fact, uh, getting close to the end of chapter 2, he nearly says there, there nearly is no Jew anymore. We're all Jewish in that sense, right? That God is, uh, is inviting us all to be part uh, of his covenant people through Jesus Christ. And so I can hear the arguments. There's the Jewish people 
who are kind of like, you know, we are the chosen people, right? And yeah, it's great that all these Gentiles are now coming in, but we, we just need to make sure we remember we're the chosen people. The Gentiles, they're the ones that are now coming in. And that, that's okay. And Paul's like, no, it's all the same. And then on the other side, you have the Gentiles who are probably saying silly stuff like, you know, that's great that you're the chosen people, but you blew it, right? You, you didn't do what God called you to do. God wanted to use you to sh share his message throughout the world. And you blew it so bad that he had to come down and get crucified on a cross, right? So yeah, chosen people, but come on, it's, it's our turn now, right? You can see these types of human arguments happening. And you also can see, as whenever he's talking about, is people, will, they'll start talking about, well, which, which law or which rule is the best, right? And so you have some people that say, well, you know, God's law, that, that that is the best. And because we follow God's law, guess what? We're a little bit better than you. And then you have the other people say, but you've, you haven't followed that law well enough. So it wasn't very good. So we need to try this law. Right? And we, all of these silly arguments and, uh, and, and you can tell Paul is trying to manage all of that. And the basic point is really simple, is that all of us, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, and let's put it in current context, whether you're American, whether you're Iranian, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's really not that complicated, and we sit here and argue about things all the time. And so Paul is getting into that, and uh, so we'll read the first part. And, uh, and I think, and again, I understand Paul is a little hard to understand sometimes. You have to really kind of pay attention and take, take your time. Uh, but I think you'll hear how he's addressing some of these things. because So he's just written how uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles are basically the same. And, and you can nearly feel in his head going, oh, there's going to be someone who's going to come back at that. So he starts in chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Well, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written, so that you may be provided what is right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim, that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have all already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. 
They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, misery, mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All of those are from different Psalms uh, from the, the Old Testament. So he's clearly making this connection. We all knew this already to be true. Um, and he's saying, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. So, so I, I think you can, you can hear, he even uses the statement, I'm, this is a human argument, right? So he's, he's dealing with all of these kind of comebacks because people just don't want to admit the fact that all of us are unrighteous, that none of us are worthy to be in a relationship with God. Yes, did God choose the Jewish people through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Yes, he did. But he didn't choose them because they were more righteous than anyone else. He chose them so that they would start living a life uh, following him so that people would recognize the way that God desires for us to go. Right? And, and, uh, and so he's, he's going through that in painstaking ways to, to make sure no one becomes self-righteous. And so he starts to deal with the law and, and the rules, right? This is a funny thing about, about us humans. We all say we hate rules, right? That's just, that's kind of a common thing. Most people are saying, I don't, I don't, I don't like the rules, rules are restrictive, all this. However, we all follow some set of rules. We all believe in some set of values, and what we typically do is we say, yeah, I don't like the rules, but the ones that I follow, they're kind of the best of the rules that we don't like. And so everyone needs to follow those rules. And if you don't follow those rules, then we don't like you. <laughs> and, and it's this weird thing we have. We don't like rules, but yet we know we have to have them. And then all of a sudden we start using rules to make ourselves more righteous. So we find a set of rules that we like, and we say, look how good I am following these rules. And man, you're not following those very well. And it can be very subjective, right? Because we all just choose different, different sets of rules to follow. And, and so Paul, he makes clear, he says uh, there at the very end, he says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, he's actually talking about the one true law that he gave, right? that God gave. He said, but you are not declared righteous based on that law. Right? He says this, he says, but it is through the law that we become conscious of sin. So it's, all of a sudden we have that, that law and we realize, wow, I, I'm, not, I'm not really measuring up the way that I should. Right? And the, the law, if you truly read the law, and we're talking about the, the basic principles, we're talking about the Ten Commandments the ba and the, the expounding of those. We're not talking about the, the way that you do worship, the way that you do the Lord's Supper, the way that you baptize, all of those things we can have conversations about. 
That's not what Paul is talking about, right? He's already said the biggest law with Judaism was circumcision. And he's already said, we're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about the basic principles of the the life that you live that is a reflection that you are living a life that God has called you to live, right? It's the way you engage with the world around you. So he's, he's saying, it's not the law that makes you righteous. The law is there to make us aware of how much we need God, right? And we're all in the same boat. So then he continues on, starting in verse 21. It says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. All right. So this is really important. It it actually is a very simple message. But Paul is is trying to, he's hitting all of these kind of arguments that that people have against. And and he he comes right out and he says, okay, it's, it's not about who follows the law best. Right? Because none of us do. None of us follow the law the way that we should. And that doesn't doesn't give you a leg up. It doesn't give you a leg up that that you knew the law and someone else didn't know the law, right? He's saying all of us are in the same boat. He says, Jew, Gentile, we're all the same. And then that powerful verse uh, of uh, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes in to talking about how Christ is the answer. Christ is the atonement, that he has been the one that has paid for our sin, that makes us right. And it is a faith in him that we find our righteousness. And uh, and then he, he, because he knows the human argument, the human argument is, okay, so that's all I have to do. I just have to believe and accept the atonement that comes from Christ. So then, yes, the law doesn't matter. There are no rules. And he says, of course that's not the case. Don't make stupid arguments. Of course that's not the case. That righteousness doesn't come from you following the law. Righteousness comes from you believing in what Christ has done. And then that leads you to following the law. Because that, that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. The glory of God, you go back to the Old Testament, to the creation, 
says that we were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect the glory of God, if you will. Right? That when people see us and, and that we live our lives in a way that points people to God. But all of us, Jew, Gentile alike, all of us have fallen short of that because of sinfulness. So our mirrors are really foggy. Right? We are not reflecting the glory of God. So the only the, the starting point of that is to recognize that, man, our, our mirrors are cracked, are ugly, are dirty, all of that stuff. We recognize that and recognize that all of us have sinned, and then we accept the atonement that comes from Christ and Christ alone, and he starts to repair that mirror. But the only way that that mirror gets clean and truly clear is if we start following his law now, that we actually start living that way. So this is kind of two sides of the same coin. It is important to recognize, no, we don't become righteous because we follow the law better than somebody else. We become righteous because we follow Christ who has made atonement for all of that. But then that has to lead to now living out the, what, the way that God has called us to live so that, that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We want to live in and glorify God in the way that we live our lives. And, and it really is more simple than we make it. You know, and Paul even addresses some of those human arguments like, well, if the, if the, if the best thing that, that we have is, is receiving the forgiveness and the, uh, the grace of, of God, shouldn't we just keep going on sinning? Because then we just get, keep receiving grace, right? And, and by the way, that is an actual argument that people have, have kind of made, that it doesn't matter how you live your life because God has forgiven us anyway. So just live your life how you want, right? I mean, it's legitimate, and many people live their lives that way, whether they proclaim it or not, right? Paul is saying, no, that's a stupid argument, right? That's ridiculous. Of course, that's not what Christ came to do. He didn't, he didn't come to just abolish the law so that there are no more rules on how we live our life, right? And and it's vital that we understand that and that we do live our lives in a way where we recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that should give us some compassion to other people, right? Because all of us are in that same boat. However, it can be dangerous, and I think it's kind of gotten to this place. I can remember a professor that I had in seminary, so this has been 20 years ago. And uh, and we would have case studies and things like that, talking about things going on at church, and you know, and and uh, you'd have Joe Blow, and he's causing conflict in the church, right? And and you're you're trying, you're just discussing these situations, and people would start saying, "Yeah, well, this guy, he kind of has some problems here. Look at what he's doing, and he's living." And and the professor would say, "Well, wait, Romans three twenty three." For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, okay, so it's important that we understand that Joe has fallen short of the glory of God, and so have we fallen short of the glory of God. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Joe is being a jerk and is living in a way that is causing chaos in the church, right? 
Like it was interesting because what I saw start to happen is that anytime we would really talk about, well, wait, we need to address that behavior of whether that behavior is, is a godly behavior or not. He would say Romans 3.23. It's like, okay, but does Romans 3.23 mean that we can no longer say what is right and what is wrong and what may be sinful and what is not sinful? And of course, the answer is, is no. And I don't think that's what he was intending to happen. But I do believe that that is, is what has happened in the church, is we, we want to be nice. We want to be kind. And, and so telling anyone, including ourselves, that, no, you know what, that behavior is sinful, that's uncomfortable, right? And it does, it does hurt, and you're going to offend people by doing that. And so sometimes I think we've responded by saying, well, all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So yeah, who, who am I to judge your behavior? Right? Well, what's the logical conclusion of that? Is there any behavior? Where, where's the lines? Right? You know, you have someone who goes and steals. And well, do we need to hold them accountable? Well, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. That's that's true, but you know, do we need to say this is sinful? You know, how far up do you go? Where's that line? There ends up not being one, and that that's kind of where we are right now, and it's 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 a tough place to be, you know, because we do want to be kind and we do want to be loving, but being loving is making sure we know what is right and what is wrong. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Yes, there's the law. And so you recognize how far all of us are from that standard. But man, he calls us now to actually live uh, in light of him. And that means living according to the standard that he has set. And if we use verses like this as an excuse never to say what is right or wrong, then we are not sharing the message that Christ shared. Christ's message was not nice and feel-goody. It was convicting, and it was uncomfortable, and a lot of people said, I'm not listening to you anymore, and they left. And I think sometimes we, as the church, we have decided we need to become more loving and accepting than Christ. I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. We, we have to recognize the starting point that all have sinned. That's us too. We are no more righteous than anyone else. But yet, there, are, there is right and there's wrong. There's good and there's evil. And we have to follow the law that God has given us so that we can share that message with the world around us. And we have to do it in our own lives, but then we are called to spread it to the world around us as well. I hope, I hope that uh, we'll never fall into the, the easy road of just kind of shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, all have sinned. Don't, don't worry about that behavior or this behavior. No, we need to seek what does God call right and wrong, and we live that out. And that we have compassion for people who have not received that grace and the atonement from, from Christ. But we need to make sure 
that we are standing up for what is right and what is wrong so that people will know what the answer is. And that's to find complete forgiveness and complete reconciliation in Christ and Christ alone. Let's go to him in prayer.